Hello, good morning, good day, good evening, and welcome to the last show of the 2020 South Texas Border Sports Podcast. Don't forget, you can find our show every Monday on anchor.fm forward slash STBS. Folks, we want to remind you, this is our last episode for 2020, and I cannot thank you guys enough for joining me on what's been a little bit of a emotional ride here. I want to thank all of our listeners listening anywhere at this point. Thank you. It just means so much uh, to me at this point to present my next guest. He has been with me before. He has covered for UTRGV Athletics. He is joining me back again to close out 2020. He is Luis Rubio. Luis, welcome welcome aboard, sir, and thanks for joining us one last time for 2020. Hey, Ray, thank you so much for having me. And I mean, this is the third time, so third time's a charm, right? But this time, instead of bringing me in relief, you bring me as the closer, you know, right where I like it, high pressure, high tension situations. I'm excited to talk to you, Ray. All right. Thanks, Luis, for joining me. So, Luis, UTRGV Athletics finally get slowly but surely getting things in the sports realm uh, going to close out the year for the sports here in general in the Rio Grande Valley. I mean, how have you seen both teams so far? Well, for both uh, UTRGV men's men's basketball and women's basketball, since those are the only two athletic programs in competition right now, uh, they've been really, really good. I've been really impressed uh, early in the season. Um, I mean, I can, I can start with, with the men's uh, men's basketball team. I mean, they're currently four and two as they just beat Corpus uh, during the week. Uh, But their only two losses of the season are at Texas A&M, an SEC school, and at Texas, which at the time is ranked 19th um, and went on to win the Maui Invitational. So, you know, the UTRGV men's basketball program is really, really good, even despite them not having maybe all of their players at full health. I know there's still a lot of players that, you know, it's not the full squad that, head coach Lou Hill wanted to have. I mean, Jeff O'Cherry still hasn't played a single game this year, and he's a, a former defensive player of the year a winner. Uh, Javon Levi's had a couple injury problems here early in the season and is barely getting back into the rhythm of things. Uh, Merrick Nelson missed, I think, the first two games of the season, and he's a really good player off the bench for this UTRGV team. So despite them having all these injury troubles or, or just not having a full squad, uh, for for their games thus far, they're still a really, really good team and they've shown a lot of fight. I mean, you know, opening night against Texas, it turned into a blowout, but they had good stretches against Texas A&M. They held it close. I mean, they kept the game within, you know, between eight and 12 points for most of the second half. Uh, and then against Corpus, you know, they, they've played really good games. So, this is a really, really good UTRGV men's basketball team, despite them not being at full force. You, you know, this is what I've always enjoyed about Lou Hill's teams, uh, regardless at any point during his coaching tenure here at UTRGV. Whether he has a complete roster or not, you're in for a dogfight, regardless. I mean, I like their grit I like their challenge and I like their defensive demeanor and a lot of people can say that last year was was his best squad I think people would need to see at least five to six games with a complete healthy roster so that fans can realize how much of a complete team coach hill has i mean that's just the way i i've seen coach hill since a day one since he arrived at utrgv he's he's pretty much changed that defensive culture around here and that's something that i've i've seen 
three to four. I've seen six different head coaches uh, come come in through here, but I would have to say that Lou Hill has changed that defensive uh, culture to the team, and he's brought that that identity with him and established it. I don't know what you think of that. Yeah, uh, I wasn't here when Coach Hill first got hired. I think I came in or I started, you know, I became a student at the university, I think his third season with with the program, if I'm correct. Um, but instantly from day one, I mean, when I was just watching games in the stands, I loved how his teams play. It was, you know, full court press. You know, we're going to get these teams out, out of the rhythm which is a really good recipe for success if you have really good defenders, really athletic players and, and people that are, or not people, players that are, you know, committed to playing that type of way. Because, you know, the thing about playing defense is not whether you can get a steal or a block, it's how much you can keep that intensity up for, right? I mean, running, I think a basketball court is 90 feet in length. I mean, running up and down 90 feet at Coach Hill's pace must be really, really tiring, but he's been able to bring players in that buy into that program, buy into that style of play, like a Javon Levi, uh, Sean Ray, you know, uh, in the past, you know, Solomon Heine and Jordan Jackson and Leslie Varner, the second who buy into that, you know, you know, we're, we're going to press, we're going to run, we're going to, we're going to knock these teams out of the rhythm. And it's brought him a lot of success because teams usually don't know what to do when you know, you have Javon Levi in your pocket 90 feet down the court, right? You know, so what Coach Hill has been able to do by bringing in this defensive, defensive-minded philosophy, this defensive first attack with, dif- dis- attack with discipline, excuse me, um, style of play, it's brought him tremendous success and it, it helps them get so many victories that, you know, we've seen in the past, you know, last year, the team was coming off their best record. And this year, they're off to a four and two start. So, you know, I think Coach Hill has done an excellent job implementing that defensive, you know, mentality, but at the same time, getting his players to, to buy into the program and commit 100% of the way. It can probably criticize like, okay, all right, Coach Hill, you, you had a, a pretty good showing last year, you had a a very good uh, team that liked to that got into the postseason, had a victory, nearly had a, a, a second one. But now people want to see, like, okay, what's going to be your follow up? Well, the follow up, you know, it was going to be something special. And then COVID comes in. And then from there, you were able to recruit another former defensive player of the year. You were able to establish a new cultural identity of play first. And that has brought in a a lot of success as you brought up. But now just moving forward, you know, non-conference is about to wrap up At at this point. I think Lou Lou Hill just wants to see a lot of his players get playing time. And I think that's going to be key entering conference play in a few weeks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, you, that's what non-conference is all about. Yes, it's it'd be pretty cool, you know, to get a, a big win against Texas or Texas A&M, but really the the – you know, that, that's important. I don't want to minimize that. But, you know, that's that's the whole point of non-conference season is to see what you have, determine rotations for when conference season does come. You know, you know what you want to play. You know the style. You know who meshes together, right? And so far, I mean, you know, UTRGV hasn't been to its full strength. I mean, Jeff O'Cherry still hasn't played. Rob McClain's missed a couple games. Javon Levi, you know, all, all of that. Um, but another thing I think that, that really is going to help uh, UTRGB men's basketball with this non-conference schedule transitioning into the conference uh, season is that they've played really different styles of teams, you know, against Texas, they were a running gun team. They got, you know, they were pushing the pace and you could say that's first game back, you know, everyone's excited, but that's a running gun team. 
And then Texas A&M, they like to play out of the high post. So that's two completely different styles. Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, they like to play down low with uh, Perry Francois. Uh, so just in those three teams, you know, you have three different types of offenses that UTRGV has to, has to kind of figure out. And, you know, for the most part, they were able to figure out Texas A&M. They were able to figure out Texas A&M, Corpus Christi. And, you know, for stretches, they figured out uh, Texas. Uh, and so I think that's another important factor considering how diverse the WAC is in terms of the style that they like to play. You know, we've seen, you know, Grand Canyon University has two big men. You know, they have Alessandro Lever and mm-hmm. Odegaard. So two big men that they're, you know, GCU is probably going to play out of the post. You know, Grand, uh, New Mexico State is a is a fast team that likes to run, you know. So so just having this, facing this diverse type of offenses um, in the non-conference season thus far, I mean, there's still a couple games left, uh, is really going to help them in the conference season where it really matters. You know, one of the things that's really impressed me so far uh, during the non-conference schedule is the different ways that they've been able to beat you without having their star players available. That, to me, just speaks volumes to the way Coach Hill has been able to coach his players and also much credit to the assistants as well who have been putting in the work tirelessly uh, throughout the pandemic. And and it just seems to me that um, a, lot, a lot of the players are right now mm, – more together at, at, at this stage right now, not having Autry, not having Levi, not having McLean. I mean, th- those are key contributors uh, right now that are, are missing. That's like pretty much like 60% of your, of your potential starting five. And now, Moving over to the women's side, let's transition now to the women's. Uh, they ha- they've had a, a pretty good week themselves, coming back a 12 down to beat AM Corpus themselves to complete the sweep of that series. Uh, you know, and they have a, a, a heavy schedule coming up this coming week with, um, with Kansas on the road, which is their last big big power five game and of course the South Padre Island Invitational um what have you seen from them that that they've been able to to bog down and and be pretty much that team from last season where they kept giving us a lot of come from behind victories and perhaps giving coach Lord a little bit more gray hairs than the usual well, first of all, before I get to the women's, I, I just kind of want to wrap up the men's. Um, okay. You know, even though they're missing a couple of players, and I'm not saying that, you know, Javon Levi's missed one game and, you know. No, like, he's missed it, it has, games. Yeah, like it hasn't been the entire season, you know, yeah. just, just to clear that up. But, you know, UTRGB is kind of making two stars right now. And one of them is Sean Ray, who, you know. He's been playing inspired ball. Yeah, Sean Ray has just been spectacular down low. And, you know, a credit to him to making, you know, last year kind of came in or came in for conference play and really hadn't developed that chemistry. But then this season, you can really see the chemistry with him down low. And then not only that, but at Quinnen Johnson II, who I'm just going to call it right now, he is going to be UTRGB's star player this season. You know, it, we can we can get caught up with, with Sean Ray and he's a really really good player down low and we can you know focus on Javon Levi deservedly so I mean he's a two-time reigning WAC defensive player of the year but Quinnen Johnson is really the X factor for this team and you know he can basically do everything for this UTRGB team I mean right now he's a leading scorer averaging if I'm correct 14 points per game you know he gets boards um, he, he's a really good offensive player that can take smaller guards into the post, you know, but also can shoot it from three um, and a really good long defensive player. So um, 
so for UTRGB, I mean, despite some of their star players, you know, being in and out of games, uh, Quinton Johnson has just impressed thus far this season. And, and I think he's going to be the key player for UTRGB uh, coming into conference play. But going back now, going into the women's, uh, yeah, they got a really, really spectacular <laughs> uh, close win against Texas A&M Corpus Christi, but it just proves to the, the chemistry that this team has. You know, that's one of the things that Coach Lord has, you know, said to me uh, on various occasions, uh, you know, as I did my preseason reporting and, and, and the likes of that stuff. Um, it's just the unbelievable chemistry that this team has. I mean, this team is, has a lot of returners compared to last season where a majority of the team was brand new. You know, they were new recruits or transfers, but a majority of the team this year is our returner. So they already have some chemistry. And then, you know, when you have players like Amara Graham, I mean, she's averaging 16 points per game right now. I mean, that's spectacular. You know, this, this team has the potential to, to make it far this season. And that's because they're facing a lot of injuries here in the early part. I mean, Valeria Tapia still hasn't played a game. She's a senior point guard and Buju Soisal, who is a six foot five center, you know, played the first five minutes at Texas tech and then in the season opener, and then suffered a foot sprain uh, that's, you know, kept her out thus far, but she's another very important piece for this team. So right now what UTRGV is doing with a limited roster just shows the tremendous amount of chemistry that this team has. And, you know, it kind of, you know, at least makes me excited to see, the future outcomes of this of of the season for this team because they're going to be adding key pieces back and they're going to be getting back into the rotation with Buju Soisal and Valeria Tapia. What's been one of my favorite pieces of this team is Jordan. Boy, she is shooting lights out right now. You know, she she besides Amara Grant, who has been the vocal leader for five years now. Uh, Jordan has just been one of those players that has surprised me from the early going, you know. Uh, she's been able to fi find open spaces to fi uh, find sh find herself in good position to shoot threes. And, you know, and it's it's taken a, a collective effort, you know. Uh, coming coming back from double digits and, and making that re remarkable turnaround against Corpus, um, this past week, it, that's what's been uh, impressive about this team is that they're able to to gel and and not um, and not break down to um, to to better teams at, at this point. And and I just feel like uh, coming uh, coming up soon to the island where the, they'll see they'll have a couple of more games just to uh, get them ready for conference play yeah i mean jordan has been spectacular for this utrgb team um and, and also you can't forget about tiffany mcgarity and and Haley jones and one of the things about utrgb how they've been able to come back is, is they've been able to shoot the three you know there's been a couple games where they they don't shoot that well from three but um in key moments they they'll make that basket and and spark that 12 nothing run and just to get back into the games. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we saw it against uh, Corpus this last week. We saw it in the earlier season matchup with uh, Tiffany McGarity hit some clutch threes that really sparked uh, UTRGB's offense. Um, and that's one of the things that Coach Lord told me, you know, the first season that he joined the program was that he wants his teams to shoot threes. You know, Amara Graham's a really good three-point shooter. Valeria Tapia's a really good three-point shooter when she shoots the ball, you know, Tiffany McGarity has shown what she can do. Jordan Lewis as well. Um, so UTRGV just being able to, to shoot the three ball really opens up the offense. And it's only going to get better when you have six foot five Buju Soisal down low, because, you know, if you miss a three, big six foot five down there can get a rebound and kick it back out. Super easy, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, this team is just going to get better as the season goes along as, you know, players recover from injuries. And I also want to add, you know, Amara Graham has been here now five years and she is, you know, kind of seen it all through this UTRGV basketball program, right? For the women's side. I, I, I want to start a petition to 
retire Amara Graham's number in the rafters. Like we, we just need to retire that number because she has meant so much to this UTRGB program, at least from the time that I've been here. So the last three years, she has been, you know, the rock for this UTRGB women's basketball program. Uh, and, and she has helped them through maybe their most successful period ever. You know, so I want to I want to start a petition on this podcast, Ray, if you allow me to. To you to, just started it. You just started to, it. We need to start a petition to retire Amara Graham's number. You know, I don't know what the process is. I don't know if we need to fill out some paperwork. I don't know how many signatures we need, but I want to retire that number. You know, she she has been the rock for this UTRGV basketball program. And, you know, thus far early this season, she's just doing what Amara Graham does, you know. She's just amazing. You know, know, if you're going to start a petition to to retire women's uh, basketball players' numbers, uh, one of of the players that I can easily mention, aside from Amara Graham, would be Shantae Goff. I don't know if you ever got to see her play. Shantae Goff under the uh, Larry Tidwell era. Oh, my God. I've never seen such a complete player go out there on the floor and be the one of the original generals that started the upheaval of this UTRGV women's basketball program. I mean, before you, you retire a number, you have to give that merit to Shante Goff. Shante Goff is before my time. Or not before my time, but I just never got to see her play. Um, just, but just I look up YouTube vi- videos of Shantae Goff, UTPA, and believe me, some of those banners that are up there in the field house, those kind of uh, belong to her too. For for me, that would be like the one player for me. And of course, uh, recently, like for the men, uh, I think Javon Levi is going to leave. UTRGV as one of the more decorated basketball athletes in the modern times. You're going to start one for the women. I think the two cornerstone pieces have to go to uh, Shantae Goff and Amara Graham. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. And for the men's side, you know, I think, I think Javon Levi is also really, is, is, you know, probably a shoe in at this point. Um, two-time WAC Defensive Player of the Year, you know, first team, second team, all WAC, uh, you know, been with you, set a bunch of program records, is still setting program records. Uh, so Javon Levi is also a player that, you know, I can see his, his number hanging in the rafters uh, pretty much uh, sometime soon here for, for athletics. No pressure to UTRGB athletics, but they, they should be up there. <laughs> uh, well, w- 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 I, I believe the one – person that that is like in charge of like hall of fame and number um retirees that i think part of that committee jonah forms it and i want to say the the ever popular vince volpe yeah you can chuckle at that one Luis. you can chuckle at that one anytime but though i think those are your two cornerstone references for asking for retiree numbers information don't worry i'll ask jonah i'll ask jonah next time i see him i'll be like jonah what do we have to do what do we have to do? <laughs> Luis, it, I mean, just this final question before we go. South Padre Island Invitational, yay for you, or is it going to be a nay? I'm, I'm super excited for the South Padre Island Invitational. I mean, basketball at the island, you know, I think, I think one of the underrated factors of UTRGV is that we're – you know, we got, we got the beautiful beach, you know, like what, I mean, I'm in, I'm in mission right now. So about an hour and a half, you know, Um, it's a little bit closer for some people than others, but it's right there. It's right down the street. Right. And in the South Texas weather, I mean, you know, it's 70 degrees outside today in December, you know, this is, this is, this is summer weather for, you know, people in Minnesota, you know, this is, this is spring weather for Chicago, you know, like who, like 
that's why I think this the South Padre Island Invitational is, is going to be good for UTRGV. Uh, not only this weekend, which I'm super excited about, we're playing really good teams, but in the future because it's going to attract big time programs, you know, and that you know bringing in big time programs to play against UTRGV, you know, not only brings more support for uh, UTRGV athletics within the valley because you know who doesn't want to see you know say a Texas that comes down right or uh, Texas Tech in the future, right? You know, I'm just throwing those out there, right? Um, but but not only does it help increase, you know, fan or fans' awareness of UTRGV athletics and more support, right? But it also helps, you know, in every facet of the university, right? It helps it or for the athletics program. It helps with recruiting. I mean, who doesn't want to play at the island in December, right? Like, who doesn't want to play at the beach, you know? Like, it, this is just you know i'm just excited for it and this is the first step and i'm um i'm thankful i'm gonna be there you know this is probably the first time i'm going to the island in about two decades you know that's how long it's been since i've been out to the island and seeing some of the pictures that uh, that the department has put up for the convention center and the court set up wow i am amazed I am amazed at the uh, I'm amazed at everything that's been going on out there. You know, the, the way the court setup looks, uh, the, the way they've set, set up courtside for for you media, for us media folks and, and the game day staff. I am just amazed at everything going on there. I mean, it, it, it looks like it's ready to rock and roll. It's ready to be Christian. It's ready to be everything at this point. Yeah, yeah, I've seen those pictures as well, and it looks really, really nice. And you know that that's kind of like the excitement as well, right? This is a new, you know, we're used to playing games at the UTRGV Fieldhouse or at Bird Island Arena, right? Uh, but at, at at a new venue, I mean, this is this is, you know, I mean, I'm just excited that we're going to be there, and I everything mean, looks nice. I, I and yeah, one, and, uh, and one and one thing that I would like to see: baseball at the beach for the baseball program. Just tossing it out there, UTRGV Athletics. Just tossing it out there. And you know what also works? Soccer at the beach. But that's not my call. That Those are just suggestions. Yeah, right? We can only dream so much, right? Right? Yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, that's, 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 I guess, the beauty of the Rio Grande Valley, right? We're not just, like, located in, you know, it's just not, the Rio Grande Valley is not just the city of Edinburgh, you know? It's... Mission, McCallan, Donna, Westlaco, Mercedes, South Padre, Brownsville, Los Fresnos, you know, San Benito, you know, Ed Couch, Elsa, you know, even going yeah, as far as Roma, right? You know, yes. the, the, the Valley is just this big place that provides a lot of opportunities. And, and you know, you have to give a lot of credit to, to the athletic director and vice president, you know, Chase Conk, who, you know, from day one, one of his first things that he told me, you know, when I asked him, you know, what, what are your plans? You know, he, he told me that he wanted to engage the entire Rio Grande Valley, right? You know, he, he wanted to engage the entire Rio Grande Valley. And, you know, the games at the island, that's, that's another step. That's another huge step. I mean, we've already had games at Bird Ogden Arena, you know, that, that increases and then now expanding games to the island, you know, it just adds so much more to what being a vaquero really means and what it means to be part of the Valley and what it means, you know, the relationship between the university and the entire, you know, Rio Grande Valley community. And, you know, it's just, it's just amazing to see how much this university is really backing or supporting the community. It's just, you know, as, as not only, a reporter and a sportscaster, but also as a student and as a member of this community. Um, it's just amazing to see how much this university is growing, you know, seemingly every day, you know, it, it's just exciting. Well, Lisa, I want to thank you for your time. Appreciate you coming on and Hey man, I mean, have an enjoyable holiday season. Uh, thanks again for everything. And I hope to see you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ray, for having me. It's always a blast to talk with you. Um, I also do want to give a quick shout out to the entire UTRGV um, athletics department. They've done a spectacular job this year. I mean, with all the hurdles they've had, 
um, with COVID. Um, and so far this season, basketball has been, you know, without a hitch, you know, knock on wood, it, it stays that way. But, you know, everyone from, from Chase Conk, Molly Kastner, John Evans, uh, Danny Elizondo, everyone else, they've done a spectacular job with this. And, you know, they've really made it easy for people in the media, like me, like you, Ray, um, you know, get our interviews, talk to the players, talk to the coaches, be there on game day. And I just want to thank them so much for, for uh, you know, making a, a tough year in 2020 a little bit easier. Uh, but besides that, Ray, uh, I hope you have uh, safe holidays. Uh, stay safe out there. Wash your hands. Wear a mask. Um, and thank you so much for having me, man. Oh, thank you, Luis. Uh, it's been it's been a privilege to to talk sports with you. Uh, hope to see you in twenty twenty one. Be safe. Uh, take care of everyone. Uh, take care of everyone around you. And I hope to see you soon. And uh, we'll see you on the other side of twenty twenty one. Sounds good, Ray. All right. Welcome back to the second segment of our 2020 end of the year podcast of the South Texas Border Sports Podcast. This is your host, Ray Silva, as I am now being joined by one of the co-hosts of the Down in the Valley podcast. His name is Jacob Young. Jacob, how are you today? Doing pretty well. Uh, this is just after the uh, MLS Cup final, so yeah, watch that. So it's doing really well. Oh, we we got to check in on on Anthony Precourt though, shouldn't we? Probably, but <laughs> uh, it's. Hey, I mean, when Seattle goes down, I am excited because it's just. I don't know. It didn't have the best time when I was up there one time, but. Gotcha, gotcha. So. Let's uh, jump in uh, quickly. So recently the RGBFC Toros have made a couple of announcements. Some that have left us a little bit confused with the double question mark uh, signals across our foreheads with, huh, type of uh, moves. But first let's uh, get with the, uh, with the re-signing of Kyle Edwards. He'll be back for another stint with the Toros. And then they renegotiated the loan of what Carlos Asokar of Venezuela. Uh, what are your thoughts about bringing those two players back, at least for next season? I think it's a smart move. I mean, you talk about you don't want to get rid of everybody. You want to have some, some players there that know that position, that are still young, that have room to grow. Yes, it's going to be different bringing in a new head coach with the, with his type of play style. So we'll have to see if they're able to fit in there. But for sure, those two players, yes, they weren't spectacular during the season, but they were still impressive when on the field. And that's what matters most when you're still impressive and making plays and saving a couple of games, especially at the end of the year when we went on, I believe, a 3-0 and stint right at the closing segment of the year. It, really helps to have those players that know what to do. Yeah, and, and I was uh, particularly surprised that they, they were able to renegotiate uh, Asokar only because he spent a lot of time doing the quarantine, and then uh, it also didn't help that uh, that the international clearance never came through until the tail end of the season. So, uh, yes, uh, I, I agree with you, uh, Brent. Uh, bring back both players, um, and, and and especially with the way both were able to connect on the field uh, throughout the last three games, uh, garnishing a, a three-game run. And now let's move on to the next part of the uh, roster moves that were made. You First, let's talk about the guys who are just completely out of contract which really is just mind-boggling to me uh, on some of the names on this list as to why they're, I mean, uh, I mean, un understandably, you, there's got to be moves that, that are made. Mm -hmm. So let's start with the 11 players that are not, that were declined contract options. Paul Blanchett, 
This name sticks out as a shocker to me. Robert Castellanos, Carter Manley, Emil Legault, uh, Jonathan Jimenez, Christian Lucatello, Timo Milic, Tyberson Nunez, uh, James Murphy, Murphy, Luca Burpa, Garrett McLaughlin, and the lone expiration of DeShane Beckford. Now, out of these 11 players, I would probably take another flight risk on Castellanos, Jonathan Jimenez, and Murphy. I, I uh, particularly more on Castellanos only because throughout the team's uh, drought, I felt that Castellanos was like the only one being able to defend the team's pride and honor, little that they had of it, I, I feel like he should be considered at least to be brought back. Um, the little that I saw of Jonathan Jimenez, uh, I'm not going to lie, it impressed me. It impressed me a little bit because he was plugged in into different um, into different parts of the field to be part of the front line, to be part of the of the midfield line, and even as a defensive line, when the team literally had no backup defenders. And then, of course, James Murphy being that one defensive stopper in front of the defensive line. I like his play. He I, I thought he made things more manageable, more manageable for the players playing up front. I want to hear your thoughts now on these 11 players. Yeah, exactly. I see why we didn't or yeah, I see why the Toros to be exact didn't decide to sign back a lot of these players of course. I mean, we talked about it once again, new head coach things like that. But of course, yeah, Castellanos that is a huge blow. Just like you said, he really defended the pride and honor. He he was one of those players that really still cared later in the season, even when the Toros were officially knocked out of the playoffs and even remotely going towards that way. So yeah, it's one of those things where you just lost a huge leader. The Toros just lost a huge leader, and that that's a frustrating loss for sure. It's just like, Going back to the twenty into twenty nineteen season, when the Toros lost Chuy Enriquez, when the Toros lost Charlie Ward, even back then too, those three guys right there are one hundred percent leaders and players that you'd want to have on your team because you can build teams around them and they can really help out their backup because we all know that it's just practice like that. And of course, going on. Yeah, it, it's tougher to say that about the others, but 100% kind of in agreement with you that the Toros needed to, at Toros or AKA Houston Dynamo needed to at least try and get back the, the other two players. Now, moving on to the next portion. Players that have contracts until December 31st. Ryan Coulter, who served as our goalkeeper's coach. Uh, ben Willis, who had season-ending surgery during preseason. Uh, Robert Coronado. Diego Rocha. Andrew Samuels, who got hurt in preseason with the Houston Dynamo. Uh, Victor Garza. Isidro Martinez. Kevin Rodriguez. And Juan Carlos Obregón Jr., now, my initial thoughts on these players that are out of contract, I can probably see Coronado, Rocha, Garza, Martinez, and to a certain extent, Juan Carlos Obregón being uh, renegotiated to come back. Uh, Coronado, once again, like Castellanos, they kind of like uh, both of them were like the sole leaders of the team when it was in dire straits. 
uh, Diego Rocha from the academy who who in limited action really impressed me. Um, going up against ML, former MLS players. Um, I'll never forget one game against uh, OKC in Tulsa to kind of hold the scoreline where it was. He, he had some terrific uh, zonal uh, markings against those guys and did uh, pretty well for a young kid. Uh, Victor Garza, I kind of see him more now as a player coach. Uh, he said it in an interview at one point that he would like to become a, a soccer coach. So I can see him helping out the Toros organization in that aspect. Um, Isidro Martinez, of course, you got to have at least some local presence in the team mm -hmm. to, keep, to keep him on. And, of course, Juan Carlos Obregón, only because you got to have that, that, that backup striker to help you uh, late in the games to, cl to, close, it, uh, to close out games, uh, whether it's by uh, using the speed, using a little bit of power to keep possession, uh, those are the only guys that I would take uh, flyers on. Now, with regards to Ryan Coulter, it remains to be seen as he recently reported that he got his green card extended. So that could be a coaching position depending on where the Dynamo move. Yeah, exactly. For me, I would say just because of the head coaching vacancy right now with all the, you know, player coaches and things like that. I would have to say, wait on that because you just, it, it's frustrating to say, because you don't know how the other head coach is going to be with maybe if the tourists decide to hire a couple of player coaches, because you, he brings in, he or she brings in their own team of, of coaches basically. And they could have some player coaches that the head coach feels comfortable with and things like that. So it, it's kind of, that's kind of my take on that for sure. But for sure would love to see culture as a player coach, Victor Garza, that is a possibility for him for sure. And definitely have to re-sign Isidro Martinez. Now my whole thing is yes, it's till December 31st. So they have what about, three weeks, maybe two two to three weeks remaining until that happens, until their contracts expire. And when that is the case, the Toros can't do anything, if I'm not mistaken, about that. Mm -hmm. It's all up to the players if they decide to come back. They can off maybe the Toros can offer them something, but at that point, any of those players can decide to leave on their own. Um one of the things that you brought up earlier Toro's not having to coach. Yes, Ger Gerson Echeverdi was relieved of his duties after three years. And, you know, it's one thing to be a result-oriented. Uh, why didn't they terminate him midway through year two? Or why didn't they eliminate him after the first five games of the season? Um, You know... I, I, I think the one thing where you got to give just a very small level of respect to the Dynamo organization is for letting them uh, stick around for uh, the time that he did. You know, I mean, yeah, he didn't have the amount of call-ups that Houston would have liked to have had. But if you're looking at this, at this as a purely uh, winning and losing record, the, the change would have been done a long time ago. Mm -hmm. But since the Dynamo have complete control of the technical aspects, I just feel like this coaching hire or this coach-less drought is going to prolong itself through... I'm probably going to guess February. And why do I use a February as a loose... Um, deadline uh, because there's been talk about pushing back the USL season like there has been talk pushing back the MLS season so that 
everyone in the league can get the vaccine. And and at this point, um, I just feel like the Dynamo might take their sweet time on this and kind of do like a rush thing with uh with like a month left before preseason starts for the Toros. Um we've discussed this in in another podcast with Down in the Valley with with Edson Ochoa and of course yourself. Uh, a shout out to Edson by the way that this process may take its prolonged time. I don't know about you. Yeah, you bring up a good point right there that we all know that this next MLS to USL season is going to be pushed back. That's just the way it's looking for every single sport possible. You look at the NBA, it got pushed back. They're going to have, uh, they're having games now officially, but it's one of those things where, yeah, just, just wait, get everybody to have that. And of course it's going to be a biggest thing of, Definitely, that's where you'll see the weight of when RGVFC will get their head coach, when the Houston Dynamo will start to make more moves with their own team, because, of course, the technical aspect of all of that. And when you start to see, I think when you really start to see more moves from the Houston Dynamo is when you'll start to see at least more player moves to RGVFC because the ones that, or let's say second to third strings will go down here. And that's where you'll probably see a couple of them stay for a while with RGVFC. And then, yeah, it's just going to be a wait out for that head coaching position. You say February, I'm going to say mid to late February, almost March. It's just when we could also see ourselves getting a head coach just because we really don't know when the MLS season starts and the USL season starts we could really potentially see it start in April. Definitely spot on with that, uh, with that analysis. I mean, I, I have got to segue into this. What are going to be those conversations like when Ron Patel enters that meeting room? I mean, just remember last year, Ron Patel came in right at the start of, of training camp for both teams and one makes you realize, like, okay, now that Ron Patel has seen a full, a full Toro season, at what point does Ron Patel start not showing his hand, but to start pressuring Houston for either better quality or get a pay bump within the organization as far as salaries are concerned because there have been reports by Jeff Reuter of the athletic hashtag Lord USL leaker who has put out these numbers and it has shown that the Toros are near the bottom of the league in salaries. I mean, that is a good question indeed. I really, I really don't know. And Jeff Ruder is awesome, but yeah, it's tough to I mean, see it because this was, this was a crazy season in general. Definitely. Because of the, now, the COVID. But now that, now that he's seen like, okay, th- this is how this team is operating. Like this is where I, I've got to like, make adjustments here and make adjustments here and talk to Houston about doing this. Cause remember he, um, he's coming from an independent club from uh, New Mexico United. And he certainly wants to make the affiliation be more effective. Yeah. And as, as fan-based media, I think we've seen the quite, quite opposite of that and 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 i feel like patel is somewhat of the indicated guy to uh, i i guess to 
amend that the broken relationship as as we see it. I mean, you have people like Matt Jordan, hashtag core values, uh, that says that this relationship has has worked. I've only seen it work since year one and everything else has gone down the drain. But, I mean, I'm going to give here Patel a little bit of the pa- of a pass here and let's see what this offseason br- uh, brings us uh, as far as being a more uh, proactive for the team. Yeah, I I kind of see that as well. Uh, I get where you're coming from, especially. Definitely, Ron Patel can try and make some moves. He's one of those guys that can definitely push for Houston to kind of listen. And I definitely, even before RGVFC get good, that's something that I definitely want to see is just to get is just to get higher salaries for these players. These players deserve it more than anything. Yes, of course. And then you can only- live off of medium minimum wage, but that's not what these players deserve, considering that they're basically this is their life. If they get hurt, they have a chance to end it as an in their career basically of soccer. Yeah, and and one of the more important things to look out for in the offseason is the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement. Now that the USL Players Association has gotten uh, one of the bigger firms to kind of help them out in that regard, that's going to be something to, like, uh, keep an eye on just moving forward in the offseason. But, Jacob, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your efforts. Uh, I just want to wish you the best of holiday seasons, and I would like to thank you for everything that you uh, that you've done with down in the valley with RSL, the Tip of Texas Sports Network. Um, appreciate the time. Thank, thank you for having me, Ray. Always a pleasure. Always fun to get to talk shop, get to talk some soccer with you. And very fun time indeed. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Folks, that will wrap it up for this edition of the podcast. Don't forget, please stay safe during this holiday season. We wish you the safest of Christmas and Happy New Year. And until 2021, this has been the South Texas Border Sports Podcast season-ending episode. Many thanks to all who have contributed And we hope to see you on the other side of 2021. Thank you. Hello, sports fans. Thanks for listening to another episode of the South Texas Border Sports Podcast. This is your host, Ray Silva. Be tuned next week for another great episode as we drop podcasts every Monday here on anchor.fm forward slash STBS. Don't forget, our podcast can also be found via Google Podcast, Apple iTunes, and Spotify. Thanks for listening.